Good morning or good afternoon or good evening whenever you are listening to this. Um, coming at you from my study this morning. Uh, I, I've already tried to uh, do a video recording of this, but the video did not work out well. So I'm recording the sermon again. So uh, practice makes perfect. Just a couple of announcements uh, before we get started in the text. I just want to um, just to say that I long for the day that we can meet again face to face. I don't like meeting like this, although it is um, we we have the technology to make these things beneficial. This is not um, the normal for the church. The church is meant to gather and to be together. So, but until then, uh, we have a few things that we're doing um, and just taking advantage of the technology that is before us that God has given to us. Um, and we're going to use it to our advantage as much as possible. So Tuesdays through Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be doing a lunchtime chapel on Facebook, and that'll be live. And so I'm just doing a review of, of Mark's gospel and, and giving some, some more devotional points to that. And it's about 30 minutes long, so that's, that's a way to connect live. We'll also be... Um, encouraging everyone to be part of their missional community this week via the Zoom app. So if you don't have that yet, uh, get in touch with your leader if they haven't already gotten in touch with you and download that app. Also, we are encouraging DNAs to meet. So for this, I would just encourage you to meet via Zoom, uh, obviously. But for this, I would encourage you to pull someone into your DNA or into your missional community that who isn't who who isn't involved yet, and connect them in that way. Just because we're not meeting face to face does not mean that we cannot uh, continue to connect people to the body of Christ in this just kind of weird way. But we can do that. Um, God continues to grow His church. God continues to be at work in Christ the King Church, for that matter. And so. We want to continue to connect to one another. So I would say don't lose touch with each other. Reach out to each other. Call one another. Text one another. Write letters as, as some of you have, have been doing already. Continue to be the body of Christ as much as you possibly can. So with that, I would ask you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. And we'll look at verses 21 through 43 today. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. So I'll read that for us now. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself 
that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And they looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. It's entirely true and it's given to us in love. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to hear wonderful and glorious things from your word this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you uh, some context based on the past two texts that we've looked at in our series – Combined with today's text, we have a pretty clear answer as to how Mark is answering the question for us, who is Jesus? So what we've learned over these past few weeks is that Jesus is one who has the power to control creation. He has the power to cast out demons. So he has the power over over the physical realities of the world but also over the spiritual realities of the world. And then not only does he have power over the physically sick to heal people, he also has the power to raise people back from the dead, as we'll see in our text today. But one other thing that we learn in our text today is that faith in Christ isn't perfect faith. Faith in Christ isn't formulaic as some of our evangelism efforts would make it seem, meaning you have to walk an aisle or say a certain prayer. Now, Jesus shows us this in our text, that faith in him is very much non-traditional in the ministry of Jesus. And in these two instances that we see today, are two different displays of the same faith in Jesus that I think all of us can identify with because they both lead us to the exact same place, which is belief in Jesus. So three realities of faith that I want us to see here in our text this morning. One is a desperate faith. 
Two is a hidden faith. And three is a solidified faith. A desperate faith, a hidden faith, and a solidified faith. So a desperate faith. So in verse 21, the disciples and Jesus cross back to the other side of the sea. And in a similar fashion, they meet someone else once they dock their boats. So in verse 22, this particular person is not like the demon-possessed man they just finished with on the opposite side of the sea. No, this man, you could say, could be put in the opposite end, at the opposite end of the spectrum in a completely different category as the demon-possessed man. This is a man you would probably label as a type A leader, a man of power and influence, a ruler of the synagogue. This is a man that people made a path when he came into their midst. But the way in which he is similar to to the demon-possessed man is in his desperation. He needs Jesus to intervene. And like the demon-possessed man, he meets Jesus immediately. He falls at Jesus' feet. He implores him, which means he begs him earnestly to come and heal his daughter. He needs Jesus to intervene. Now, doesn't that feel like where we are right now? With the mandatory closing of non, non-essential places of business, uh, businesses last night, with an invisible virus floating around, we are in a place of desperation, aren't we? And we need Jesus to intervene right now. Well, Jairus is a man at the end of his rope. Here is his precious daughter at death's door, and there is there is nothing his status or his religiosity can do for her. He's at the end of it. And the faith that Jairus places in Jesus, one could say, is a desperate faith. Jesus is his one and only hope. And he is your one and only hope as well. So at this moment, I'm sure Jairus was met with a great deal of comfort when Jesus agrees to come with him. Maybe his, maybe his desperation is cooled a bit. Maybe he kind of calms down his, uh, during this particular moment. We don't know. But what we do know is he gets way more of Jesus than he was originally intending. But to see this, we have to see the second act of faith that is hidden. Now, Mark often does this where he will uh, sandwich a story within another story. So we are met with Jairus in these first few verses. And then in verses 24 through 34, we are met with this sick woman. And then from verse 35 through the end of, of the text, we go back to Jairus. So Mark often does that, and when he does that, he is meaning to show us something particular. And in this instance, he wants us to see faith in Christ and what that looks like. 
So the second instance of faith is a hidden faith. So Mark adds in verse 24, a great crowd followed and thronged about him, as the ESV translates it. So essentially what Mark is saying is the crowd was mobbing Jesus. So you may have seen um, fans on uh TV when they mob a celebrity that they love. They are all over this particular person, trying to trying to reach out and touch them or to get an autograph. This is what's happening to Jesus. His fans, his followers, are mobbing him. They want to be close to him. So Mark here is purposefully trying to build suspense. So you can imagine the scene. Jairus has found the only hope for his daughter and on the way back they are gridlocked by people their their pace is significantly slowed but they could still make it Jairus is thinking they could still make it we can still weave through this crowd except they're hidden in the crowd is one who sees Jesus differently than the others that are pressing in upon him And this interaction doesn't just slow them down. It brings them to a halt. They stop altogether. Now, if Jesus was an emergency room doctor today, this would be considered terrible triage. He would lose his job. But what we must keep in mind in our walk with Christ is that Jesus' ways are not like ours. His timing is not like ours. His timing is completely different. But his ways and his timing are perfect. This is very applicable today, isn't it? All of our schedules and all of our to-do lists have just been thrown out the window, no matter who you are. And now we are having to adjust to what people are calling a new normal. We have no idea what the future holds with this pandemic that we find ourselves in. And we may be asking ourselves, why, God? I had everything going for, for, for me. I, had, I was on pace for certain things in my job. My kids were on pace um, in, in school. Everything was running smoothly. Why, God? And all we can do is remember that his ways are not like ours. But his ways are good and right and true. And we just have to trust them. Well, Mark goes on to describe this woman to us in verses 25 and 26. He tells us that this is a woman who is chronically ill. She's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So this has not only left her physically weak, it has also made her unclean according to Old Testament law. So she's not only suffering physically, she's doing it alone. The law required her, we could say, to be socially isolated. She wasn't allowed to be in large crowds like she is in right now. So here what the law says from Leviticus 
15, 25 through 28. And let me just preface this these next few verses. Um, they are it's not something you're going to probably memorize in your um, uh, Bible um, memorization plan. It's not something that you're probably uh, ever going to hear me specifically preach from. But these words are important for kind of framing the context of where this woman finds herself uh, these past 12 years of her life. So Leviticus 15. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days And after that, she will be clean. So, take this law, which was applied once a month to every woman, and now apply it to this sick woman that Jesus encounters in our text every day for 12 years. Unclean has been her identity for 12 long years with no relief and none even on the horizon. She's been to every physician at that time. She's spent every penny she had to try to get relief and nothing works until she meets Jesus. Mark tells us in verses 27 through 28 that word has reached this woman about Jesus's power, how he had healed others, how he had uh, made the lame to walk again and made the blind to see. And this hearing propels her by faith to do. So she comes up from behind Jesus and touches his garment. So we not only see her faith in verse 27, we also hear it in verse 28. And I love that Mark captures these words of faith from this dear woman. She says, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So her faith may have been hidden. It may have been secretive. But it was confident. The reports she heard about Jesus must have been clear enough for her to believe she was not dealing with a normal man here. So much so that she believed that if she only touched his clothing that she could be healed, not even skin to skin contact. And not only that, it was the smallest part of his clothing that she touched. The other gospel writers specify the fringe of his garment which was quite possibly the tassel that hung off his robe at this particular time. Uh, Teachers uh, wore these particular robes that had tassels that hung off of them. So some believe that it was just the tassel that she was reaching out to touch, 
the, the smallest possible part of his clothing. So in every way, her faith seemed small, when in fact, it was massive. Which reminds me of the words of Jesus who says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest possible seed you can think of, you can move mountains. And essentially, this is what this woman has done. So while it seems her faith is hidden and small, she is the only one in this crowd that is touching Jesus whose need is met. Verse 29, Mark tells us, using his favorite word, immediately she is healed. She recognizes this because she recognizes what uncleanness feels like. She recognizes what sickness feels like. So she immediately knows what cleanness and what healing feels like after she has touched Jesus. Well, it doesn't go unnoticed. In verse 30, Jesus, recognizing that power has has physically left his body, asked the question, who touched me? Who touched my garment? Now, you have to put your place in the disciples here in this scene. Remember, the crowd is mobbing Jesus. People are pressing in all around them. And then at the same time, they have this important, powerful man and who has a need for his daughter to be healed by Jesus. The disciples know, Jairus knows, that this man's only hope is Jesus. And Jesus now stops to ask, who touched me? Now, you can imagine the disciples raising their eyebrows and asking Jesus, who hasn't touched you, Jesus? That would be the easier question to answer. But Jesus knew someone had not just brushed his shoulder or kind of passed him unnoticed, but that he had been touched in faith. So notice Jesus recognizes true faith Versus those unreal attempts and unreal touches to just get something from him or to merely just be in his presence to say that you were around Jesus. Now, Jesus recognizes that a transfer has been made. And I believe this to be one of the most remarkable aspects of this text. Remember, this woman is unclean. She has been for 12 years. She knows it. Everybody around her knows it. And so this means, as the law states, anything and anyone she touches becomes unclean. So what has just happened is Jesus has taken on her uncleanness so that she could be made clean. Now, she knows this. If you noticed in, verse, in verses um, 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
She knows that this could possibly be a rebuke. She knows that she could possibly be in trouble here because she has just touched someone in her uncleanness. But Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease both physically and spiritually. Because this is what Jesus does. He takes on our uncleanness. He takes on our sin so that we would be clean. All we have to do is respond in faith to his call to repent of our sins and believe the gospel. There is nothing that you or I can do to make ourselves clean. Only Jesus can do that. Do you need to be healed today? Then respond by faith. Jesus says today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, the great thing about both responses of faith is that they are both uh, confirmed by Jesus. There is no rank in the presence of the Savior. He says to, to both the powerful and the lowly, your faith in me has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Not your power, not your status, nothing but your faith in me, in Jesus alone, has made you well. And this solidified faith is what we see next in our text. So while all of this is happening, a messenger comes with distressing news. So you have this exciting moment that is happening. This woman has been has been healed. Jesus forgives her of her of her sins, and then a messenger approaches Jairus and the company. And in verse 35 says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? So this messenger is essentially saying to Jairus and before Jesus, the teacher only has power to heal sickness. This is now beyond his scope. So you have to understand that during this period, the idea of resurrection was a category that was relegated to the fiction shelves of the bookstore. Resurrection was not something that someone during this time thought possible, physically. So the messenger is saying to, to Jairus, so, so just give up hope in Jesus. Your child is dead. There is nothing he can do about it now. We just need to move on with life. And we know this to be the sentiment because by the time they reach the man's home, the mourning process has already begun. The, the hired mourners um, that people uh, hired during this, this time were already there. They were already involved in this ritual of mourning. And so Jesus Sensing the rising fear in Jairus' heart, simply says to him in verse 36, Do not fear. 
only belief. Do not fear, only belief. Now remember, resurrection is not a category in Jairus' mind. At this point, Jairus has no idea what Jesus uh, has in mind to do. So what Jesus is asking Jairus to do right now is to trust him in the unknown of this life. Because that is where your faith is solidified. That is where your belief in Jesus becomes a reality. And we can all relate to this now, can't we? It's easy to have faith when things are going our way. It's easy to have faith when things are comfortable and safe and secure. It's easy to have faith when our bank account is full. It's easy to have faith when job stability is not in question. It's easy to have faith when our health and the health of those we love are doing well. But what happens to our faith when the bottom drops out? When things aren't so clear? When the direction forward is not something we can see or even even plan for with any amount of confidence? Do you abandon ship? And not bother the teacher any longer? Do you enter into uh, um, the, the, the lie that uh, this is beyond Jesus' scope? That there's nothing left for him to do, so we should just move on with our lives? Or do you trust his words? Do not fear. Only believe. And then follow him. Well, thankfully, Jairus does. And he ends up with way more than what he originally comes to Jesus for, just like the sick woman. Which is the experience of us all that have put our faith in Christ. We have received way more than what we expected. Our cup is overflowing with the grace of God that we have in Christ. And so Jesus shows us here that he is not only, not only has power over Satan and sin, like we saw in uh, the past two texts that we look at, but he also has power over death, which the scriptures tell us is our final enemy. Now I know some of you, with this pandemic, death has been uh, on your mind a little bit more than normal. And I, I, for one, think that is a good thing. I think it is something we should be thinking about more, that our lives are not forever, that one day we will all meet death. But Jesus still says to us, do not fear, only believe. And he demonstrates that he has this power over our final enemy through the raising of Jairus' daughter back to life. And this short scene reminds us of this dramatic truth, that the keys of death are in the hands of Jesus. They are not in the hands of your enemy. 
They are not in the hands of a uh, virus. They are in the hands of Jesus, who is perfectly in control. They are in the hands of the one who will one day swallow up death and victory. And all we have to do is believe. Amen.